I've said it before that I get some ideas for the podcast based on real patient encounters. Well, last week we admitted a patient with suspected pelvic inflammatory disease. She improved and was discharged. And while most patients can be managed with antibiotics and, when necessary, percutaneous drainage, the recovery is slow. Patients often require hospital admission and IV antibiotics for this condition. Long-term complications can include chronic pelvic pain, distortion of pelvic anatomy, ectopic pregnancy in the future, infertility, and reactivation or recurrent PID. So in this podcast, I thought we should cover tubo-ovarian abscess, which this a patient that we admitted did have, and review its diagnosis, workup, and management. A tubal ovarian abscess, or a TOA, is a complex infectious mass of the adnexa that forms as a sequelae of pelvic inflammatory disease. However, TOAs have been reported without the preceding episode of PID, and it's even occurred in women who are not sexually active. Classically, a TOA manifests with an adnexal mass, fever, an elevated white blood cell count, lower abdominal pain with or without vaginal discharge, and it can have a variable appearance. Should the abscess rupture, life-threatening sepsis may result, and any clinical concern for this diagnosis requires prompt surgical evaluation. The majority of women with TOAs are in their reproductive age and they are typically sexually active. Most commonly, these abscesses arise as a late complication of PID, pathogens from the cervical infection or vaginal infection, ascend first to the endometrium and then travel through the fallopian tubes into the perineal cavity where they form a walled-off mass. The majority of cases have associated peritonitis. Lastly, TOAs can arise from the extension of an infected adjacent organ, most commonly the appendix, less commonly hematogenous spread from a distant nidus of infection, or an association with pelvic organ cancer. Once again, this has happened to me um, many times in consultations with general surgeons where we get called in for a suspected TOA when in fact it has been a ruptured appendicitis close to the ovary or the adnexa that mimics a TOA. So it's always a good idea to have a general surgeon on standby if, and again, that's an if, you're doing surgical exploration for TOAs because, well, you're just not sure what you'll find. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's touch on the pathophysiology in just a little bit more detail. Bacteria from the lower genital tract ascend to create an inflammatory mass involving the fallopian tube, the ovary, and potentially other adjacent pelvic organs. Tubal ovarian abscesses are often polymicrobial and typically contain a predominance of anaerobic bacteria. 
Although associations with STIs can occur, the most commonly recovered bacteria from a TOA include E. coli, Bacteroides fragilis, other Bacteroides species, Peptostreptococcus, and aerobic streptococci. Interestingly, neither Neisseria gonorrhea nor Chlamydia trachomatis is typically isolated from a TOA. Now that we've covered the pathophysiology, a quick word about presentation. These patients with TOAs have a similar presentation to PID because, as we've just discussed, they have similar pathophysiology. Now, regarding the workup, some advocate routine pelvic ultrasound in patients with suspected PID to look for abscess because, ironically, some data suggests that not all patients with PID have fever, or increase in Y count because, remember, it's a localized collection, a localized abscess, rather than a systemic response. The other camp says only get an ultrasound if they fail to respond to antibiotics within the first 48 hours or, obviously, if they have deterioration in their clinical picture. Personally, I like an ultrasound on admission because it just sets the stage of what we should expect in terms of resolution of symptoms and is just good for prognostication. So in patients with PID, I always get an ultrasound to look for a TOA. Once again, a tubovarian abscess can be found on imaging with an ultrasound or CT or MRI, but an ultrasound is, of course, the go-to for a gynecologist. Although not commonly used, laparoscopy is still considered the gold standard for diagnosing PID and TOAs. Additionally, laparoscopy can facilitate the drainage and culture of a TOA that persists. But, as we'll get into in just a minute, laparoscopic intervention has really fallen second line to percutaneous drainage if the mass is accessible to that approach. Typically, either a transvaginal ultrasound or CT of the abdomen and pelvis can be used if there's a concern for a TOA, and it's also helpful to evaluate the mass size. Mass size is important because some literature has suggested decreased chance of antibiotic success based on the mass of the TOA. Now remember, typically management consists of antimicrobial therapy, and we'll get into that in just a minute, with surgery reserved for cases of suspected TOA rupture or cases with a poor response to antibiotics or, more commonly, in cases where percutaneous drainage is not possible. For example, Reed and colleagues back in 1991 demonstrated an inverse proportional correlation between the success of antibiotics and TOA size, with TOAs greater than 10 centimeters having greater than a 60% chance of requiring surgery compared with only 20% in a mass that sized 4 centimeters to 6 centimeters. Nonetheless, some still advocate that despite mass size, an empiric trial of antibiotics is still valuable because it doesn't guarantee failure, it just raises the chance that antibiotics alone won't do the trick. Patients with TOAs should be admitted for parenteral antibiotics until they clinically have resolution of symptoms or have improvement in lab parameters like resolution of leukocytosis. The CDC does recommend IV antibiotics that have excellent coverage for tubovarian abscess. Often, metronidazole or clindamycin is added to ensure this anaerobic coverage. In addition to flagell and clindamycin, typical antibiotics are cefoxetin and doxycycline or cefotetin and doxycycline. Clinda, gent, and flagell have also been used with good success. 
Women with a TOA should be given IV antibiotics until significant resolution of pain and tenderness, defervescence of fever, normalization of leukocytosis, and possibly stability or decrease in the size of the mass. Now that last one is a little controversial because some don't repeat the ultrasound just to see mass resolution because of course that mass resolution could take weeks. But the idea is just to ensure that it's not necessarily getting smaller but that it's not expanding rapidly. The duration of antibiotics is 14 days but obviously the majority of that can be done as an outpatient on oral antibiotics. The IV use of antibiotics is reserved for the first 48 to 72 hours and then the patient can be discharged home as long as there's clinical improvement and absence of deterioration. All right, as we come to a wrap, let's cover this issue about surgical intervention. Because historically, I trained that if you had an abscess, even a TOA, you went in there and you drained it laparoscopically. But is that still the first line? I mean, trust me, I've been there. You definitely don't want to just rush into an abdomen that's got a TOA. It's a mess. Well, let's find out what the data says next. Now on to the issue of surgical exploration. As we discussed in the past, the greater the size of the abscess, the greater chance of antibiotic failure. And some have landed on the number 7 as 7 centimeters as the magic cutoff of when to offer surgical intervention as frontline. And while some do perform surgical intervention, that's laparoscopy with drainage, for TOAs greater than 7 centimeters, this surgery can be quite tricky. And for this reason, it is still reasonable to give IV antibiotic therapy in patients who are otherwise hemodynamically stable, regardless of abscess mass size. However, this should be done on a case-by-case -case basis and these patients should be consulted that there is a high risk of antibiotic failure and that they may still need surgical intervention in the future. Okay, now here's a personal commentary. I've gone into these abdomens and I got to tell you, it's tough. Everything is stuck together. It looks like an endometriosis pelvis. And so in those patients that may have a tricky abdomen, like those with prior C-section or prior multiple uh, abdominal or pelvic surgery or a history of endo, you really want to stay out of that abdomen because we may not make them better and could potentially make them worse. That's why there is growing evidence that these patients, if not clinically improved on IV antibiotics alone, could benefit from image-directed drainage procedures. And I'm a big fan of that. Percutaneous drainage of this mass still gives an aspirate to culture and can still give clinical resolution of symptoms without the risk of an intra-abdominal procedure. All right, podcast family, as we wrap this up, I'm going to leave you with an important clinical alert and a big clinical pearl. Remember we said that TOAs, like PID, is typically a reproductive age woman's issue. However, TOAs have been diagnosed in postmenopausal women, and here's the alert. Case series have reported that there's a high rate of malignancy among postmenopausal women with TOAs. As an example, in one series, genital tract malignancy was found in 8 of 17 postmenopausal women compared with 1 of 76 premenopausal women. So, postmenopausal women with a presumed TOA should be counseled about the potential for malignancy and the possible need for a full staging procedure.
We're so glad that you're part of our journey. We're thankful for your listenership, for your friendship, and above all, your comments and ideas that come with us through the app itself and through our Facebook page. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.